Hey, this is Marina, and you're listening to Sober Baby, a show about how the one thing I have to change is everything. Every Friday, I invite you to hang out with me and my guests on Instagram Live as we talk about addiction, sobriety, and everything in between. This is Sober Baby episode 16 with Jack. He discusses the paradoxes of recovery, not having an off button, and self-love. Hi, everyone. Um, You'll see this big empty space right here. For those of you who are listening and not watching, I'm sitting on like this beautiful old kind of like leather chair, and there's this like blue one happening, and that was a dog in the background, so... Hopefully they don't bark the whole time, <laughs> but I don't think they will. Um, hi, everyone. Oh, that's you, John? Sleep John B? Oh, there we go. Okay, it's all coming together now. We have a lot of people in this house for this, uh, this episode, which I'm really excited about. And we're going to get started. You'll notice that I pinned a content warning for the episode, and I think I'm going to maybe start doing that. For those of you who are just listening and not watching, I'm just going to say kind of like before I start that the content warning for this episode involves sexual, verbal, emotional, physical abuse, childhood trauma, graphic or explicit violence, um, eating disorders, suicide, and drug and alcohol use. So please know that if you... um, like would feel particularly triggered or bothered or harmed by discussion about any of these issues that you're like free to leave and please don't feel, you know, obligated to stay. Um, so just wanted to say that content warning. Um, I'm really happy about this episode. It's been a crazy hour leading up to 5 PM as it always is. We had like a thunderstorm and a Wi-Fi connection moment and now we're settled in an area that's like quite warm because we have to turn the fans off for the recording, but grateful to be alive. Um, so yeah, episode 16, I'm Marina. If you didn't know that, hi, I'm the host of Sober Baby. And, uh, this week's episode is a particularly kind of lovely follow-up maybe to last week's episode with Kirsten. And yeah, I'm Marina. I use they, them pronouns and, I'm an alcoholic and an addict, and I'm just trying to make a space for people to feel seen and heard and held and understood and uplifted um, through their stories and experiences with addiction and sobriety. So I have two announcements before we get into the show, and then I'll say, oh, there's a fly in my hair. Um, And then I'll say the kind of general premise of why we're doing this. And again, if you're here and you want to interact, please like drop emojis. Let me know how your week has been. It was a crazy week for me. I don't know what was going on like cosmically, but Danny was telling me there was some retrograde stuff happening. So it was a crazy week. Um, and I would love to know how your week was and hopefully it was great. But yeah, this weekend is there's some big things happening this weekend. Um, and I'm going to just start out by sharing that tomorrow is June 19th or Juneteenth. And if you have been like paying attention to the news, you'll have seen that, um, Juneteenth was just passed as a federal holiday. And I just wanted to like make a, make a, just like a brief kind of acknowledgement and naming that the kind of federal marking and recognition of this day as a holiday, um, is really performative and doesn't make a lot of sense, particularly me being located in a state in Florida where um, schools are actually not allowed to teach CRT or critical race theory, which would be how teachers would explain why Juneteenth is a national holiday. Um, Critical race theory allows for the study um, of the injustices and like the history of slavery. And basically it's illegal in Florida to do that. It's illegal in many other states as well. So there's just, it's a, it's a, it's not like a complicated situation, but I just, um, wanted to name that a lot of people are rejoicing over this and that's awesome. But also like check out all of the different ways in which state legislation and, um, and the institutions that you're affiliated with are, are maintaining kind of a racist, um, status quo within their kind of performative celebration of Juneteenth being a holiday. Um, also abolish prisons, right? Because that's what modern slavery is, right? Um, Lawyers cannot go to work tomorrow to defend their clients who are wrongfully incarcerated black and brown folks on a day that we're supposed to be celebrating the emancipation 
of slaves from the South post-Civil War. So just in case you didn't know any of that, uh, please educate yourself. I'm one voice. I'm certainly not the only voice. And um, if you are in the Gainesville area and would like to support a really incredible black artist, my friend Kay has a solo show at the Moisturizer Gallery and will be giving an artist talk at 6.30. I'll put the details of that in the chat. Um, so please come through and support her and her work. The next thing is on Sunday, we have Father's Day. I'm really excited to have a dad on the show. Um, and I also just wanted to like say happy Father's Day, happy like parents slash dad's day to anyone who's celebrating that. And um, also to name that these kinds of celebrations are really difficult for a lot of people who have complicated relationships with their parents or their dads um, who might not have a father anymore, who may never have had a dad. So like if that applies to you, I hope that your Sunday is filled with self-care and self-love and that your chosen family um, can be around you and with you. So if you don't have anyone to hang out with, hit me up and we can virtually hang. So yeah, I think those were all of my show notes for things that are happening this week. Let's get into the assumptions. Um, the reason that I created this show is because a lot of people, when I told them that I was sober and that that was because I'm an alcoholic, they were like, you don't look like an alcoholic. And the first assumption of the show is that alcoholics aren't bad, addicts aren't bad people. Um, we struggle with addiction. And I say we because many addicts are very similar in the ways that we struggle. We aren't the same, right? And our identities, the second assumption, the ways that people's identities intersect with their addict identities, right? Their race, their class, their gender identity, um, their education, their immigration or nationality status, those impact the way that they move through the world and whether they're more likely to come into contact with police and prisons and punishment or rehabilitation and doctors, right? So if you're white, you're gonna navigate addiction in a very different way than if you're not white, right? So I move through my recovery and through addiction with a lot of privilege, and I hope that you can hold me accountable in that as well. Um, the third assumption is, what is the third assumption? The third assumption, oh, is that addictions and recoveries look all different. So just because I'm sober and I don't drink and I don't smoke and I don't do any drugs or anything anymore, doesn't mean that I uh, think that that's how everyone should be. And I'm certainly not gonna have guests on the show that are only mirroring my worldview or my recovery or my addiction story. Um, people on this show who I have on are gonna smoke. Some people are gonna be in relation to addicts or in relation to people in recovery. Um, and all of those perspectives I think are valid and need to be amplified and uplifted because everyone's impacted. I think those are the show assumptions. Again, if you're just joining us, the content warning for this episode is sexual, verbal, emotional, and physical abuse, um, discussion of childhood trauma, graphic or explicit violence, eating disorders, suicide, and drug and alcohol use. So if any of those um, might be particularly triggering or harmful for you to hear, please feel free to, to step out and, um, and we'll see you on the next episode. But... I want to welcome someone onto the show to welcome the guest onto the show, and that person is Jenny, Sober Baby's audio engineer. Please join. Oh my gosh, hi. <laughs> hi everyone, I'm Jenny, uh, my pronouns are she, her, and I am so excited and so grateful to be here. Um, literally yeah. the audio engineer of Sober Baby, <laughs> can we just freak out about that for a second? Can you just like briefly tell people what you're doing? Yeah, of like course. Like a one-minute spiel. Um, so I did a lot of like podcast, audio editing stuff in high school, or not high school, college. Um, kind of have been out of the game for the last couple years. Been like waiting for something to come up that I thought was really important and that I wanted to be a part of. And Marina and I crossed paths like a month ago, I think. Wow. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And I was like, your show is awesome. Like here are some like audio equipment suggestions. And they were like, do you maybe want to be a part of this? And I was like... <laughs> like really are you asking me this that would be amazing so I'm working yes. on editing the past episodes getting them ready for Spotify so we can have like an audio version um so yeah I'm just like yeah so literally grateful. give it up for Jenny <laughs> for making this podcast more accessible it's, I don't even think it's a podcast I think it's a talk show but we'll call it a podcast <laughs> um for just like making All this more accessible fun. and for digitizing it and doing like audio magic Things that I don't know how to do, right? Like, Jenny's Jenny's doing that. Um, and so we are the Sober Baby team right now, and we're going to keep growing. <laughs> and all of you are also part of that team as well. And Jenny, um, 
I love you, and I'm like so oh, happy that you came into my life. Yes. Are you, are we too sweaty to hug? No. Okay. No. No. no, no. Yes. I'm so oh. I'm so happy that you're here, and like it was just um, it was just like kismet that mm-hmm. you are related to someone very special who has like a sober story. Yeah. You're here to introduce. Yeah. So my stepdad, who um, we call my bonus dad, because he really has been a bonus to my life. Um, He's been sober for over 15 years now. I'm really excited for him to share his story and to share his wisdom um, with all of you. And yeah, I just wanted to share that two years ago today, um, he and I were in the car road tripping from Portland back to Florida because I needed to move back to Florida. And he said that he was never going to fly on a plane again. He has like an intense phobia of planes. And he flew across the country to drive me back. And not like a short flight, like a six-hour flight. So Mm. he's really great. And I'm really excited that you're all going to like get to hear from him. Yes. Um, So yes, that is is Jack. Cool. Jenny, love you. Jenny's just going to be right here (laughs) listening to the the episode. Um, So yeah, please join me in welcoming Jack to Sober Baby episode 16. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You guys can all clap in the in the background. <laughs> Hi. Hey. Okay. So we can just like see how we look in this. How do you feel about it? Oh my God. We look so good. You feel Hi. good about it? Hi, internet. <laughs> yeah. I know. Is World. this your first time doing a live stream? Uh, yes, absolutely. Wow. I'm so honored. Um, so basically, there are just like people in the live stream that are like commenting. Like my friend Bella said, "Woo, Jack." Hey, Bella. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Woo, Bella. So, yeah, people are just, like, pumped that you're here. Um, I'm and pumped to be here. I'm pumped to be I'm, here. I'm actually really uh, are you sweating? honored. Not yet, but... Okay, I'm sweating. Um, I got you a present for being on the show um, because I get all my guests drinks, but I wanted to get you something a little more long-term. So, Jack's drink of choice was coffee because you only drink coffee. So I'm still a black ca- coffee. I'm still a caffeine addict. Yeah. <laughs> so, black yeah. coffee and water. So, I got you... Black coffee. Jack, Jack runs on Duncan. <laughs> Apparently today. Apparently I do. today you do. Thank so I hope you, you can so make much. lots of pots of coffee. It. Yeah, it's the original blend. So. And I got you a present too. What? A Star Trek companion. Oh yeah. <laughs> which I. <laughs> you already gave it to me. Yeah, um, gave you. Literally, Jack gave me this. Can, for people who are like listening, it says the Star Trek Compendium, the complete reference book, including a show by show guide and over 125 rare and exciting photos. Guys, That's if a, you know me. Yeah, use copy, but. It doesn't matter if it's used. <laughs> Oh my god. I just I found think, out you like Star Trek and I had that. So yeah, I'm pretty sure Marina yours. was like, conne- there was a person named Marina who was connected to Star Trek. Maybe like Leonard Nimoy's girlfriend or something. Hot. Yeah, right? that's who I'm named after. <laughs> yeah, she was hot. That's who I'm named after. That's crazy Guys, cool. look at that. Oh, the USS Enterprise. So we're both Trekkies. And oh. We're both sci-fi geeks. So Live long and prosper, bitches. It's really cool. Yeah. So basically, thank you for this. This You're is so amazing. Welcome. Thank I... you for uh, the coffee. It'll go to good use. Yeah. Well, you got to work for it now. We got an hour to talk. <laughs> I can do that. So for those of you who are also just joining, check out the content warning. I'm not going to say it again, but um, there are going to be some heavy topics that we discuss on this episode. And uh, yeah, if they might be particularly triggering or uncomfortable or harmful for you please feel free to step out. So I have my questions on my note cards all written out. Um, but I usually remember them, but I was basically just wondering, I sent you the questions beforehand and we can just kind of like talk about it. I don't know Jack's story. I'm assuming none of you do. I think Jenny probably knows a little bit of it. I'm not sure if I even remember all of it. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But I was wondering, um, if you could just kind of start out by telling me what your life was like growing up. What was my life like growing up? Um, Yeah. Well, it depends on which particular moment in time. You know, it's like there's this, the year when I'm five versus the year when I'm 10 mm-hmm. versus the year when I'm 15. Each one would be its own chapter and different, uh, a different uh, snapshot mm-hmm. of what I was like at that time. So it's like if you look at the whole thing at the time, I thought it was normal. I thought it was uh, your typical American childhood in the suburbs. And I didn't think I was unusual in any way. And uh, I thought what was happening in my head was uh, normal, you know, like my family was normal. My family uh, were drinkers, and I thought everybody's family was drinkers because mm-hmm. that's what I was exposed to. It didn't occur to me that there's big, huge sections of the population who don't drink. Right. In fact, I equated adulthood to 
drinking. That's when you matured, in my mind, was when you were smoking and drinking. So the idea of not doing those things was never a concept to me. Mm -hmm. um, and when drugs and such came along, was through my sister, introduced it to me. That was also normal behavior. That's, you know, if you want to get into high school, mm -hmm. you start to where are you like in, drugs. in the lineup of your family? So do you have? Did you I'm have two youngest. parents? Yeah, two parents. Okay. Who are still married? And how many siblings do you have? An older sister who's about four and a half years older than I am. Oh, okay, and she's the one who introduced you to drinking yeah. and drugs. I think. Uh, well, no, to she introduced me to uh, marijuana. I think when I was like twelve, she got me high for the first time because it was like getting a dog high. You know, you like to laugh at the kid. You know, it was like that kind of thing. Like here, smoke this. Mm -hmm. you know, and I, yeah, I did that with my friend's younger sibling. Exactly. It's kind of fucked up. It is fucked up, and there, there's an immense right there, right? So <laughs> it's like, oops, shit, shouldn't have done that. Um, yeah. But, uh, you know, that was normal. This was life in the 70s and 80s when I was a kid. Everybody... Oh, yeah, everyone was smoking pot. It was... I mean, they still are. Now everyone, it's legal. Yeah, everyone's <laughs> smoking pot. <laughs> it's like... Yeah. They had to wait till I had to quit, now they made it legal. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, that, that was my childhood as a normative thing. Um, I... Grew up in the suburbs of Cincinnati, and um, so that was my experience. Mostly white, I'd say half Anglo, half Jewish. Mm -hmm. um, and it was a public school, but it was run like a private school. It was very elitist. Mm. And uh, in that sense, I would say um, I had all of those cultural baggage of elitism. Mm-hmm. So unconsciously mm -hmm. programmed into my way of thinking, mm -hmm. whether it be uh, sexism, racism, um, classism, mm -hmm. um, all of that is part of my um, mindset. I hate to use that word because there's a story behind that. But anyway, that's how I think. And um, it's things I have to try to debug out of my consciousness totally. now. Yeah, I'm and it's, it's an endless, endless struggle to um, take those... Um, prejudices out of your mind totally and, um, it sucks totally but um the nice thing about when you recognize this is it it, it teaches you compassion for the people who still have those mm -hmm. characteristics when you see somebody who's racist or sexist or elitist or whatever my reaction is to be angry at them and point my finger at them but then i have to remember i have that in me too totally. I, I have that capacity too and so i have to forgive them and i have to set a pattern a better mm -hmm. way of being. Yeah, and I think those prejudices, the first episode of this show, I talk about, um, I really kind of went into a deep dive on what stigma is and like how it's really, um, it really impacts the way that people choose to seek out support or not in their addiction. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, I don't know. I think about that. A lot of those unlearning are kind of coupled in with, with like my own kind of unlearning of what I think addicts and addiction looks like and that, right. you know. Well, it's, um, what's coming to my mind is the paradox that uh, when I was a kid, when I first moved to Cincinnati, I was in about the third grade, mm -hmm. and by that point I already had a weight issue. So I had a weight issue because when I was about four or five, I was uh, sexually abused by my grandfather. Mm -hmm. And um, I didn't understand at the time that I'd put on weight because of that experience. Mm. And I learned about that much later. Right. To me, I just thought I was a fat kid. And then I moved to this elitist school, and I was teased mercilessly. And to me, it was horrible. But eventually, that taught me compassion for people who are othered. Mm -hmm. And if I hadn't have been overweight, and if I hadn't have been teased mercilessly, I would have become probably just like such people who didn't have that experience and who still use that as a weapon of feeling superior to overcome their inner sense of uh, fear. It's, mm. it's really a form of cowardice to be prejudiced, you know. So it's like when you're looking down on somebody for some characteristic of theirs, it's to bolster yourself up. Totally. Because you feel insecure. So I learned that the hard way. But paradoxically, it becomes the best thing that ever happened to me because I got to become a more compassionate and uh, kinder person than I would have other. I was otherwise on the trajectory to becoming. I was on the trajectory to becoming a typical white American male, which, mm. you know, look around it's not such a great mm -hmm. thing typically um but before you got so you sound like you are like he like you have done some serious healing right yes around a lot of the stuff you just said but can we can we back it up a little because sure. i know that you're 15 years sober 
I'm going to be 15 years sober in January next year. So this is my 14th so year. So 14th. 15 years in recovery, 14 okay. years clean. In January, um, January. Next January will be 15. What days. day in January? 20th. Whoa, January 20th is just Friday day. Cool. So um, congratulations. First Thank of all, you. that's amazing. Thank you. Can't it wait is. to grow up and be just like you. It's a one day at a, I told you this before. It's a one day at a time program. Totally. And I, I, I want to emphasize that because um, when I was first in recovery, I made a big deal out of thinking that the more time I had clean, the stronger my recovery would be. Totally. I made this false assumption mm -hmm. that the two were equivalent, that the longer you're, you're clean or sober, the stronger your recovery is. That, that's not true. You can, you can have time without using, mm -hmm. without getting the spiritual uh, principles of recovery embedded in your life. Yeah. You're, like on, you're on coasting between using experiences. And um, the reason that's a big deal is because in recovery, you'll discover a lot of people will use their clean time as they hoard it up like they're monetizing clean time. Mm. Like they're richer than you because they have more clean time than you and therefore you have to listen to their wisdom because they have more time than you. Mm -hmm. And it becomes a political thing. And all of this is really bad for recovery because in a recovery room, everybody sits in a circle because we're all equal. Mm -hmm. We have the same disease equally. And we're here today equally to get clean through today equally. Yeah, I think a lot Just of people, day, you know? I think, and I don't think that's particular or specific um, to recovery. I think that that's just like, that's just like a thing with being older than someone. Like me as an older sibling, mm -hmm. towards my younger, like my younger sibling, I would just be like, I know more than you. And like, you should definitely listen to me. And I think to an extent, parenting works that way too. It's just like, I yeah. know better than you because I've been <laughs> around longer than you. And to an extent, yeah. You know what I mean? I respect sure. deeply people who... Um, have come before me yes. and yet I'm not trying to minimize that no no I'm just saying like it's I completely agree it's like all we have is right now and right here together and right. like hopefully we're doing something amazing in this moment or something redeemable or something like lovely and well I can have 15 years clean and I can go out there and in one bad decision I'm back to square one totally you know so it's like I have a disease that wants me to use because it wants me to self-medicate because mm -hmm. I don't like how I feel inside mm -hmm. and I want to change it with something from the outside and of me and I do that with food or sex or gambling or drugs or alcohol or, or whatever 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 yeah fishing I like to fish these days so, you know, that like, seems like a great outlet though well it's a constructive outlet yeah um, one of my first therapist who's like my first uh, like temporary sponsor mm -hmm. um, he taught me that I'm always going to have the disease of addiction there's no cure but I have a choice now that I understand it. Mm -hmm. I can do something productive with that tendency or continue to do something destructive, mm -hmm. which is what I was doing. Yeah. And so I shift towards something productive. In my case, I put that energy into my work, my family, my totally. recovery, and my hobby, which is fishing. You know? That's amazing. You mentioned um, using food as a way... You didn't say the word cope, but no, I'm hearing self, cope. Self-medicate. Self That's how um, I use it, yeah. And I'm, I'm assuming, and I could be wrong, but I'm assuming that perhaps once you discovered alcohol, um, that self-medication transitioned. Trans transitioned. And so I was wondering if you could kind of talk about like, maybe not even your first experience drinking, but what drinking was like for you, um, maybe in high school. And part of me is, can I show this photo? Sure. So there's this photo. I don't know if you guys saw my story. It's this incredible photo of Jack who has a mohawk and like a skateboarding bruise bump on his left temple. And is it like a pirate sword earring? It's like a scimitar. Yeah. It's like a scimitar. There's a specific word I, for this sword. And I was, I I was a skater up. poser. Okay. So, so gang knows. just in case you're wondering <laughs> what times change. <laughs> Do you see this earring? Oh my gosh. Amazing. So yeah, basically I'm wondering what, like, were you drinking when you were this age? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> of course I was drinking, drinking, drugging. I was anything at that age. Were you still like self-loathing and like trying to figure it out? Well, I didn't see, like I said at the beginning, I thought this was normal behavior. I didn't know I was self-loathing. Oh and yeah. I didn't know that I had bad. I mean, I, I, I guess if you were to inquire at that time, did I have a bad self-image? I was. Oh, yeah, blah, blah, blah. But I didn't understand the full depths of it. Like, I didn't understand most of existence. You know, I was young. And 
Um, you were a teenager. Teenager. And you, what do you know? You, you think you know everything and yeah. you don't know anything. And that, that's the truth. And um, I was posing. And I keep saying that because that was my personality. I was, tr- I was so consumed with what other people thought of me mm. and how I presented myself to the world. And I was so concerned about that because I thought how I felt on the inside mm-hmm. came from the outside. Love seemed to come from the outside. And I instinctively thought if I could just be loved, then I would feel okay. You know, that love is the ultimate drug, right? The and, ultimate uh, drug. It is. And like all drugs, it's temporary. You know, one is too many and a thousand never enough. It's never going to fill that hole totally. inside you because love actually has to be an inside job. And it took me decades to understand this. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, it's... It's profound. and um, But once you understand that when you are loving somebody or something outside yourself, you're generating that loving feeling. Totally. It's not dependent on how it's received. You can just be a source of love. And you don't need love from the outside because it's coming from the inside. Yeah, you're like a light. But when you don't know how to generate that love, you're dependent yeah. on somebody else smiling at you mm-hmm. and saying, oh, you look nice and accepting you into their group. And this is where we all go wrong. Because yeah. you're giving your power away. Totally. Totally. Yeah. I know. I was just telling Danny um, that, and for those of you who don't know, Danny's my wonderful, lovely, supportive partner who uh, makes appearances on these episodes. But um, I was just telling Danny, like, I think a couple days ago, maybe two days ago, that I was like, I, I, I believe in what I'm doing. You know, I, I believe in myself. And it was like the first time that I've articulated that maybe ever. Mm-hmm. Like out loud, right? And I am like en- enough. I've had enough of sobriety. You know, I'm still really, really young, kind of in my sobriety. But I've had enough where my brain is kind of cleared, mm-hmm. and I can understand that. Um, I I just like can't. I can't receive anything I'm not giving. Exactly. You know, like how am I? How am I to support Jenny? How am I to support anyone? if I'm not actually like supporting myself with a really great scaffolding, you know? Right. So I don't know. I just, no, you're absolutely it's wild. right. Um, if you, um, think you can love somebody else, but not love yourself, you're deluding yourself. Totally. It's a, it's a, it's a false, uh, thing. It's thinking that I can just fix the world and then I'll be okay. You know? Yeah. But if you don't love yourself, then your love for other people isn't genuine because you really don't believe things are lovable because you, yeah. you have to start with that inner child and then love goes outward. Mm-hmm. So if you're self-loathing, how can you be other loving? Dude, I drank so much. Sorry, I just called you dude. Um, <laughs> I am a dude. I'm old school dude, man. You are That's a dude. Okay. But I was just thinking about how like my self-loathing similarly manifested in, in like, I mean, I didn't eat i just like was anorexic so i wouldn't eat i was bulimic um so we have okay so we share kind of an eating disorder experience but i drank so frequently by myself Mm -hmm. when i would um be getting ready to like go out to an event or before work or whatever it was like because i couldn't handle looking at myself in the mirror and getting dressed and i knew that after i had like two glasses of wine or two drinks or shots or whatever Mm -hmm. i would feel like Oh, this is like forgivable. Literally, I mean, that's what I would say to people. I'd be like, "Oh my, like my, I, I, this is like, I guess this is okay, you know." And I had to drink to get to a point where I could almost like ignore how I looked to be able to function. And I'm so grateful I'm not there anymore. But I just my kind of drinking experience and the way that I um, didn't know how to love myself are so deeply intertwined. Right. And that's so, um, from the outside, I just met you. I don't know anything about you, but it's just... I know, we just met everyone. (laughs) so incredible that somebody who is young, intelligent, and beautiful like you could Mm -hmm. have a bad self-image. But see, that's the disease of addiction. It doesn't care what the reality is. It's a warped uh, mirror that we see ourselves in. It's a fun house. You require us to see you because you can't see yourself correctly. And that's the same for me. I don't mean to say you. No, I know. It's the same for all of us. We could Because some part of our uh, brain, and I'm speaking collectively, but from what I've been told is that... Um, and from at, what you've experienced. From my own experience. Yeah. When your brain is in development, age four to six, you know, your, your self-image um, and your capacity for... Um, 
your brain is like developing if if you're not being nurtured correctly from oh, the yeah. outside yeah. you don't feel you, those parts of your brain don't get filled in and mm-hmm. so you can never go back and fix your brain later so you have this big what i call the big black hole of need you don't feel lovable because you weren't loved when your brain was supposed to be loved which is so weird because so I, my both of my parents are on this live stream and for the record I'm like not saying your parents didn't like no <laughs> i'm not saying that my parents are both not addicts. My mom's been on the show, and mm-hmm. um, and my parents both love me and my sister immensely. Like, and and yet, my sister and I are both alcoholics and addicts. And so right. there's another part of it where I'm just like, there was some shit that happened to me in high school and in college that formed a hole mm-hmm. um, that I wasn't like ready for, or I didn't have uh, like I didn't have like a tool to measure the kind of pain I was feeling when I was in adolescence because I had had such a nurturing and loving childhood. Right. I didn't like know how to recognize this new color. Right. And so what I knew how to do was bend my elbow. Yeah. You know, that's sure. what I did. Yeah. I was just like, oh, I'll just drink and I'll feel better. I, don't, I wish that we could all say, okay, well, this is how you know, addiction is created in a human being mm-hmm. and then stop that behavior mm-hmm. for everybody. But that's, there is no formula that works universally where you can say this is what makes an addict. It's a disease of the mind. Mm. And um, when you have it, it's forever is what I understand. And that's what I've been taught. And I believe it's not a... Uh, curable there's no cure for mm-hmm. it and this is one of those questions like well would you cure it if you could in yourself once you have recovery it's like you see the strengths and beauty in addiction it can turn into powerful energy source and a way of being that is good mm-hmm. um, so and it would also to say well if i could not be an addict that would deny so much experience of my life you know would you take that away and it's like well i would take away the harm i did i would take away mistakes I make but those are the things that form me paradoxically into the person I am today yeah how do you do one without the other yeah you can't so I'm not looking for a cure I don't want a cure I'm looking for my program which is recovery which Mm -hmm. is spiritual based and philosophically based Mm -hmm. how can I become a better person today than I was yesterday and I was talking I was in a meeting this week and I was talking about this very subject that if I held myself up to this idealized standards of recovery, perfect recovery, a perfect spiritual practice, I'm going to fail every time. And yeah. that would lead me back to using. So that's why I have to just be here today and work the best program I can for me today to be the best version of me I can be today. And mm-hmm. forgive myself when I, when I don't measure up to my own standard. Yeah. You know, and um, learn to love myself like I would anybody who makes a mistake you know you, you can't be perfect you're like, just a human just a human just take but... it easy jack <laughs> well, oh my gosh well it, it's part of my way of thinking of uh, like an idealized philosophical way of being that there's this perfect way of being and then there's me you know and the two how do i get to be that oh. you know what i'm saying i know what you're saying <laughs> i'm picking up what you're putting down and so are people in the chat the Ben Fox, that's that's his handle. His name is Ben Fox. He says, I'm really appreciating what Jack is saying. Very well considered and articulate. I guess you're making sense. English major, UF. But you told me some shit about your English major moment where you were like, that was my bottom. It was, yeah. So you kept on drinking from, what? when, when did you start drinking? Um, daily, from about 15. On. Through undergrad? Yeah, right through undergrad onto, um, well... I stopped drinking when I started smoking crack cocaine. Oh, okay. <laughs> because drinking no longer did it for me. Oh, that's how it progressed. Yeah. yeah. Oh, shit. And how I long st- did you smoke crack for? One year. Oh. And uh, the reason I started smoking crack cocaine was to give myself something more powerful than my gambling addiction. I didn't know you were a gambler. <laughs> I'm an addict. Oh. I do. I everything. never gambled. Don't. I was just like... <laughs> <laughs> don't, don't try it. Don't go there because it's, it's a mofo. And uh, it was so powerful for me. I could not stop gambling at all. I, my what? best thought was I'll go smoke crack cocaine because that will be more powerful than my gambling addiction. And I was right. <laughs> I stopped gambling. I stopped drinking. I stopped everything. And I went to what I call my drug of devastation salvation. Whoa. It kicked my ass so hard that... That's when I got suicidal. I um, came out of a dope hole January 1st, 2006. 
day after New Year's Eve. Happy New Year. I spent the night shivering in a corner in a drug dealer's um, condo because I had no money and they just didn't kick me out. So mm. I just, I was in a corner just trying to sleep. And I woke up the next day and I had no money and I was doing the walk of shame. Literally walk of shame because I had no vehicle, I had no money, I had no transport. And a bus was coming down the road and I thought, I'm going to throw myself in front of that bus. Because my life was such a living hell and I didn't know how to get out of it. And then I had a voice inside my head said, well, why don't you go to a meeting first? Mm. And I went to my first, willful, willfully chose to go to my first meeting that night. Mm -hmm. I'd been to other meetings, but not because I wanted to be there. I went to other meetings earlier than that in order to get people off my back mm. who were giving me shit about my addiction. So part of my uh, you know, chameleon technique of keeping my addiction alive was to do placate the world around me, the people around totally. me, keep them happy, keep them totally. off my back so I could keep using in secret. Oh my God. I get that so hard. I wasn't really like a, first of all, thank you for sharing that. That's some, that's some heavy shit. Yeah. Well, dude, I'm glad you're not there anymore. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like, yeah. yeah Take a sip too. of that coffee. Yeah. You deserve that black coffee. <laughs> um, but we, we can talk about this. This is still, this is my next drug to try to get rid of because it's a drug too. Yeah, I've heard that like it's a good idea to try to stop the things that in the order that they kill you. Yeah. So um yeah, cocaine had to go <laughs> in my life because it wasn't acceptable to do coke at seven a.m. before I went to go work with children, and then <laughs> yeah, I know how fucked up is that? It's fucked up. And then and then like slowly but surely, nicotine's a hard one. Did you smoke cigarettes? I did. Twenty five years, and uh, I was a three pack a day smoker, and um. I, oh my god, you really you really ingest. You really suck everything up. Everything. Oh yeah. my god. And I, I have no off button is what I would say. I have no if I like it, I have no off button, so I can't do it. If I like it, I can't start it because I won't mm. I won't be able to stop. And um anyway, what I was gonna say about cigarettes, I uh came into recovery, like I said, in two thousand six. I actually my clean date's two thousand seven. Well. And that's there's a story there we can talk about that. When I came into um, I'll just keep saying recovery. I made, I said, I allowed myself to do anything I wanted, as much as I wanted, as long as I didn't drink or drug. So if I want, if I want chocolate cake, I'll eat the whole cake if I want to. If I want chocolate ice cream, yeah. I'll eat the whole gallon. I don't care. I don't give a damn because I'm not smoking crack cocaine. You know, it's like it's the lesser of two evils. And it was the same with cigarettes. And I was in uh, recovery for two years before I quit smoking. And I was able to quit smoking only because I was a vet and I was uh, able to go through a VA smoking cessation program mm -hmm. and they gave me uh, Chantix for free. I didn't have the money to afford that. But it worked like a miracle for me and within a month, I never wanted another cigarette again. And uh, wow. I can't uh, praise it highly enough and advise you highly enough if you're smoking to use it if you can't stop on your own because uh, it worked for me. Yeah, smoking kills half the people who use it. Just found that out. Gotta work on not wanting to smoke. It's hard though. It's it, really it's it a is. very difficult thing to stop. Well, it's doing. More, it's as powerful or more powerful than heroin. So yeah, like what? There you go. What are you gonna do? Well, I'm glad you're not smoking crack anymore. Me too. Oh, um, <laughs> what was that year? You said like you kind of. Yeah, let's started. Talk about that. You started like your recovery in 2006, but no, you didn't really I, kind of like have a date. I started. My parents were, I was living on my parents' couch while I was using. They let you come back? Yeah, they, well, my dad was wanting to uh, send me to the Salvation Army. My mom was uh, fighting with him to allow me to take refuge in their apartment. Mm -hmm. I was sleeping on their uh, futon in an apartment in Gainesville. And uh, part of the deal was he took me to the VA as an outpatient for their drug program. Mm -hmm which is a stupid place to put a drug addict in an outpatient program because <laughs> as soon as they let me out, I went and did drugs. And I would tell people in the hood about what I learned that day in drug treatment. <laughs> <laughs> While I was getting high, I would tell the other addicts there, this is what I learned today in drug treatment. <sighs> you know, let me tell you about it. <sighs> you know, over and over and over again. And uh, so... What was that? What was my point? I don't um, know. What was your point? Oh, about how that was in 2005. Oh yeah, yeah. Okay. I was still using, and it wasn't until I had that moment where I was ready to kill myself. And I mean, I'm, I was seriously 
It was you in that bus. It was that me in that bus. That was, and I'll tell you why it was that moment that I wanted to kill myself is because the night before I did something, I had a, I supported my drug habit, by being a drug runner. What that means is I was willing to go into the hood and buy the drugs. Okay. I would go and take people's money from the bar. To go and buy their drugs for them. And you would bring it back to the bar? I would walk it back to the bar halfway. I would cut it in half to support my habit and then oh. give them their half that so you they were buy. Because like... they were too cowardly to go into the hood. So I would wow. take half their drugs to support my habit. So you were like shady Uber Eats for drugs? Yes. And you were like taking, you probably, honestly, you probably like deserved that commission, that cut. That's how I saw it. Yeah. I mean, that's yeah. what I'm saying because like my first thought is like, yeah, of course you deserve part of the cut. You're doing the run. Yeah, exactly. And um, anyway, I'm a selfish liar. That's uh, why I think that. This is how I survived. <laughs> anyway, the night before, it was New Year's Eve, like I said, and one of my right. best customers was a waiter named Paul. Hi, Paul. And uh, Hi, Paul. Hope you're alive. And uh, <laughs> he was a massive alcoholic and I would go and get him drugs and give them to him in the bathroom and he would smoke them in the bathroom. And um, while he did this, he had all his tips from that night at the restaurant in his wallet. And he mm -hmm. left his wallet on the bathroom sink. Oh, you probably gave it and back he, to him. he turned his back <laughs> and smoked this pipe that I gave him. And I saw this fistful of cash. And I just, I said, take your wallet because I was going to take it from him. I felt the urge to rob him. And I had never done anything like that in my right. life. That's not how my self-image is. I don't think of myself as a thief. Right. Even though I was stealing half their drugs, that was different. Of course. <laughs> I just don't think of myself as somebody who takes your money, you know? Mm -hmm. So, and that wasn't what got me to suicidal ideation. It was the fact that the next day I woke up and I regretted not robbing him. And I knew next time I would rob him. Mm -hmm. And that's when I realized I was at a place where I didn't want to be and I'd rather be dead. Because my hell had gotten so bad that I was that kind of person. And I couldn't, I was powerless over it. It was more powerful than me. I couldn't not do it. Yeah. And I knew that. So that's why I had a friend in recovery and called him up and said, I need to go to a meeting. And he took me to a meeting that night. And um, three months later, I snuck out and got high mm -hmm. and didn't tell anybody. And I kept picking up chips saying that I was clean. That's the worst when you're just like have that secret in your and you just it's only you who knows it. Yeah, it eats your soul. Oh my god. Three months after that, I was snuck out again and used and kept picking up clean time commemorations. Three months later, I snuck out and used. And then three months later, I snuck out and used. So every three months, I snuck out and I never told anybody. And at, when I was going to get my one year, I couldn't do it. I couldn't stand in front of a room of recovery and say I had a year clean when I didn't but I couldn't tell it to anybody so this is what ended up driving me out of the rooms because I couldn't be honest about it I was so mm -hmm. ashamed that I was misrepresenting my clean time mm. and I was too and they have a saying in recovery where they say you can't save your ass and your face at the same time and my disease is so profound about what other people think of me that I couldn't admit that I had cheated and that I totally. wasn't—I wasn't clean, and because uh, I cared about their opinion of me so much, and I—I I didn't understand some seriously important things about recovery that I know now that I didn't know then, and I wish I did. But it's my story, and the reason it's this is one thing—I'm okay with it now because I understand I have a way of being in relation to recovery that's unique to me. That when I share it, there's somebody out there who might be picking up clean time. Yeah. And they're not clean. Yeah. And they need to hear my story to say, I did that. Totally. And it will ruin your recovery. It will it will destroy you. And um, you're not understanding the program. The most important person is the newcomer. Mm -hmm. The most important person, because you, when you're there and available to tell somebody I need help, you're giving them a chance to give their recovery away. Mm. We, we keep what we have by giving it away. So when you're able to be honest and say, I did this, you're giving the rest of the group a chance to be spiritually good people and help you. And if you deny them that, you're taking them from them a chance for them to help you. Yeah, I love that idea of reciprocity um, yeah. a lot. And what you're saying, I am listening to it. 
and I'm totally picking up what you're putting down. And it just jogged my memory about something I forgot to do at the beginning of this episode, which is perfectly fitting for this moment, which is that my sister, who I mentioned, Milan, her three-year uh, sobriety anniversary was yesterday. And so I just wanted to like mention that I'm so proud of you, Milan, and from the bottom of my heart, like, um, I'll probably just cry if I talk more about it, but it's, yeah, it's amazing to be sitting next to you right now in like a lovely home, sober as fuck, thinking about how my sister and I were like scraping together bills to try to do a bump of coke at 11 a.m. after I had gotten off of work and that was like four years ago and, and like that's not where my reality is anymore. Um, and so yeah, I'm just like really proud of you, Milan, and I love you and congratulations on three years of being alcohol and drug free because that's fucking a miracle dude it's a miracle sorry to interrupt you for that like announcement right. um no, that's great. but i would love to kind of ask you about two questions because we're nearing the end of the hour how'd that happen i know you just <laughs> you had really good things to say um so the first question that i want to know is like what what is possible for you now now that you don't drink or use drugs now that you live, like, in recovery, what's possible that you couldn't do before? Um, well, everything's possible. I was a slave to my addiction, and it controlled me. And um, now I've been liberated from that slavery. I can do anything. I can go anywhere and be anybody I want. Um, Identity is a construct if you want to go down that path. It's like we get to say who we are. Mm -hmm. You know, we get to create our identity every single day. We, when I say, you know, I'm this person, I'm American, well, that's an identity concept. It's a reality, but it's also mm -hmm. a concept. I can move countries. I'm not locked in here. I'm here by choice. I'm choosing to perpetuate that identity. But I'm free to leave the country and become Canadian or whatever, wherever I can get into. Mm -hmm. um, what other things am I talking about? My name, my profession, um, my haircut or lack of haircut. Like your, what, I, yeah. All these things are things we choose. So you're saying that now you have a choice. Yeah. And when is before you didn't? No. Well, I mean, I, some choice, but the, the addiction, when I was in active addiction, it, it chose my path. Mm. through life and it was always the path of least resistance totally as i saw it totally but it always turned out to be the hardest path in hindsight and yeah I, it was like the shortcut you it know, always seemed like, like the shortcut and shortcut. i worked twice as hard i've never i've never worked harder in my life than the year i was a crackhead because it, it ran me every day my feet were bleeding because i didn't have a car so i was walking and walking and walking through the streets of gainesville trying to you know feed my addiction right 20, a 20, 20 rock at a time, you know. I mean, when I started out, the first, I had a $20 a week habit. I went to a $200 a day habit, you know, in a Jeez. year. And I would have done more if I could have figured out how to get more. Yeah. You know? And I'm, the point is, when you're doing that, you don't, you just live, wake, sleep addiction. And so when you're liberated from that, it's like coming out of hell, and now everything is heaven. Mm -hmm. Everything is heavenly. You know, you can put me in a prison cell, and it's heaven compared to an active addiction. In fact, it's an opportunity. You put me in a prison cell, that means I get to bring recovery to prison. Yeah. That's As a human, I don't support prisons I don't in either, general. But there's people suffering. But there are people who get sober in and prison. And if, if you take yeah. me there, I'm going to spread recovery there. Totally. Is my point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, um, I get what you're saying. That's actually where the focus of my life is. Now that we're coming out of COVID, there's this opportunity we have uh, in my program um, programs called H&I, Hospitals and Institutions, where you can actually take recovery into places where people can't get out. Mm -hmm. And that's my ambition. I, I'm hoping to be able to get into such places to share my story and say, you know, you too can be freed from active addiction. That's, that's the so promise awesome. of recovery is uh, freedom from active addiction. Yeah, I definitely know that, like, I am living a reality that um, not only did I not envision for myself but that I didn't think was even possible, Yeah. you know? And it's something as simple as being able to pay my rent 
every month, being able to be in a healthy relationship with someone who I'm consenting to be in a relationship with, who I'm not being hurt by or harmed by or abused by, you know, like there are big things, right? Like I'm just grateful that I don't have to, um, hook up with people to get drugs, right? There's that level of it, but then there's also like, oh, I can wake up and not feel like shit because I slept on the toilet all night. Okay. There's just like these baseline I want to address what you just said yeah, about please. hooking up with people for drugs. Because oh, okay. <laughs> I, that's a big deal. Yeah, um, I know. And gender in recovery is a big deal too in the addiction because I used to say in early in recovery how grateful I was that I was a, a fairly unattractive male. Because, and poor, because these are the things that saved my life. Because if I was an attractive female, I would have kept using. If I was a wealthy person, I would have kept using. And if I would have kept using, I'd be dead. Mm. For me, it was a death sentence. My addiction was, I, didn't, I don't have an off button, and I would be dead. It was because I didn't have money that I was ready to rob people. And it was because of that that I was ready to kill myself. And it was because of that that I came into recovery. Mm-hmm. So if I'd had an, an endless supply of money... I would have never stopped. And for me, being an attractive female is equivalent to an endless supply of money. Yeah, but also like more exposure to violence and like... Oh, yeah. No, I'm not saying it's a nice thing. I'm saying it's a terrible thing. It's a hard thing because you have so many more opportunities, at least while your looks last. You know, it's like drugs can be terrible on what you look like. And if you go from one year to three years later, you can be devastated by it. Oh my God, I know. I look so much better now than I did when I was in active addiction. Right. I like have color in my cheeks and I'm like breathing. Um, Yeah, one of my favorite kind of like phrases that I think about all the time, which I feel like is right in line with what you're saying is like if I could blank normally, if I could drink normally, if I could use Coke normally, if I could uh, shop normally, I I would do it all the time. I want to talk about that. I would do it all the time. <laughs> no. I've had this discussion with other people like, well, you know, if I could use normally and it's like, well, okay, if you could, but what pattern would you be setting for the person who can't? You see what I'm saying? It's like if you're choosing to be a spiritual person, if you're choosing to live by spiritual principles, if you can do something and you know other people can't or they're hurt by that thing, mm-hmm. how, oh, I know what you're saying. how can you exemplify that and say, well, it's okay for me, but you can't do it? Yeah, you know, I know what you're saying. You're, you're you're hurting this person. And it's like, I don't want to hurt anybody else. Yeah. I've hurt a lot of people Same. in my life, in my addiction. And I'll talk about that, too. In addiction, we have in we have a step program. Let's talk about that. How much time do we have? <laughs> so we have, we have five minutes, and I want to... I got some points to say. I know you do. But I also want to maybe take a sip of your coffee. I just want to, okay. like, open up the floor... Because you're amazing and you've dropped so many amazing... Like, you've shared a lot and I think there's a lot to chew on here. And I want to open it up to the people who are on the stream if they have a question for you. Okay. If you have a question for Jack, please drop it in because we have five minutes left of the show. Um, And if you're watching this not live, please feel free to DM me and I can email these questions to Jack um, because we have... Happy to help. Happy to help. See? Wants to be of service. And the, the final question that I want to ask kind of as I make space for people to, um, to ask you questions is you've talked a lot about all the different versions of yourself, even though I know that there is like so much more kind of packed in between that we don't have time for. Um, and I'm just kind of curious, like if you, like if you could go and have a conversation with the Jack that's with the Mohawk back here and the earring and if you, or even like the five-year-old, you know, uh, version of you, like what feedback might you offer to a younger version of yourself, knowing what you know now? Well, it's funny you should say that, because when I was a kid, I used to talk to my older self. Mm. I would, uh, because I, when I was in pain and I didn't know how to negotiate that pain, I would talk to my future self and tell me what I should do in the future to make up for that pain I was feeling in the moment. Mm. And uh, so now I can go backwards and the other way through time and talk, you know, and I would just love myself, Hmm. you know, Yeah. because uh, I didn't have that. I didn't love myself and I didn't, I didn't know that I didn't love myself. I, I, I replaced that self-love with ego and uh, I did that uh, intellectually. I would say I'm smarter than other people. Therefore I'm superior. 
and that's a form of prejudice. Totally. And prejudice, whether it's racism or elitism in that case, or sexism or whatever it is, it's all about bolstering up the ego because you you actually don't feel that. So you have to find some kind of position inside yourself where you can feel inflated. And you do this through feeling better or superior to other people. Mm -hmm. So it's actually a form of cowardice. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, it's supported by lots of institutions that uphold shit. Um, Well, that just shows how profoundly sick our society is in our world. Okay, so we have a question. Okay. We have a question. We have two questions, and we have five minutes, so let's do it. Do you have any advice from Sleep John B? Thank you so much for your question in the green room. Do you have any advice for people that feel they have hurt loved ones and struggle to reconcile that with themselves? Yes. You absolutely. have a minute and a half. Absolutely I do. Um, okay. First off, that's why I was talking talk about step work. In the first step, it talks about uh, the first step is Great. to admit you're powerless over your addiction um, and then our life becomes unmanageable. And then the second step, I'm sorry, second step says we're going to re- We've come to believe that a power greater than ourselves can restore us to sanity. This implies that what we did prior to recovery mm-hmm. was insane. Now, if, Definitely you, insane. if you think about how do you feel about an insane person, imagine there's an insane person on the street corner yelling at traffic. I mean, that's me. Like, would you castigate that person or would you think, oh, this person needs help? If this insane person did something horrible, like set your house on fire, would you, you might be mad, but you would still know this person needs help. You wouldn't just, you know, screw you, get out of here, stop setting houses house on fire. You would say, let's get this person help. And once they're helped, you they would can, say that. Not everyone, maybe. Any sane person would say, "Let's help this person." Okay. Right. So that's how you have to feel about yourself in active addiction. You were insane. You caused untold damage to yourself and others, mostly yourself. And that was the actions of an insane person. Now you're in a position of recovery where you are establishing sanity. And the first thing to do is forgive your insane version of yourself. Love the addict inside yourself and move forward towards amends. Yeah. And amends is not apologies. Amends is actively being a better person and if you can repair the damage, repairing the damage. Yeah. And amends, I feel like they don't apply to just people who are addicts, right? Like anyone can make amends. It's about, you know, honoring and owning what you did, whatever that might be, even if it's just like interrupting someone, like I just interrupted you. I apologize for that. It's all right. Um, it's your show. <laughs> yeah, I guess. Yeah, I guess. But you know, it's just about like um, not staring at a past version of myself, but looking and and like knowing, you know, what what she was up to. Um, the last question that we have from the chat is, I think it's for both of us. How do you show up for yourself when things get hard? If you want to go first, you can go first. How do you show up for yourself when things get hard? Um, I, I try to use my support networks because I can't handle the world and the universe on my own. And uh, I'm, I'm a fundamentally broken person. I have a disease that wants to kill me. And my way of thinking is, they, said, they have a saying that an addict alone with his own thoughts is in bad company. <laughs> you know, it's like, <laughs> I can't trust how I think. And... Life is hard. Life right. on life's terms is hard, and there's a lot of struggles. And it's hard for different stages of our lives. You know, when you're a teenager, it's hard. When you're in your 20s, it's hard. When, you're, when you have kids, it's hard. You know, it's never just suddenly is easy. Right. But you don't have to be, you're never alone. Once you're in a support group and you have a support network, you pick up that 600-pound phone and you phone a friend. And you say, I'm, I'm hurting today. I need yeah. help. You know, and I'm lucky enough that I have a functioning relationship. And so I could say, hey, help me. I'm having a bad day. Yeah. I'm so grateful that I get to have a partner who I can be honest with and be vulnerable with. And yeah, to answer your question, I think, um, you know, sober baby is a way that I try to show up for myself. And um, I'm, I'm like going to get emotional on this one, but I'm so grateful that you're here. And like, I'm so grateful that we can, you know, sit next to each other as people who don't have to drink anymore. Um, cause I don't know, just like waking up every day sober is, is just beyond, um, kind of like my wildest dreams. And this show continually has, um, kind of opened up space for people 
to reach out back to me and be like, hey, you know, I'm watching Sober Baby and I'm three weeks sober, you know? Yeah, you're so fortunate to have this. Yeah, and I'm so fortunate that you were on this. So thank you for, like, thank you for being here. And you're thank so you welcome. for sharing thank this Thank you for with letting me. me be here. And everyone, thank you for being a part of this, like, lakeside chat. There's a lake in the background. I know you can't all see it, but... Thank you for being here and thank you for your questions. And if you have any more questions for Jack, they can email, they can send them to me and I can email them to you. Absolutely. Okay, cool. Thank you for joining us uh, this episode. I don't even know how to like transition out of this episode, to be honest, but I guess um, live long and prosper. <laughs> Bye everyone. Hey, this is Marina, the host and creator of Sober Baby. Hang out until after the credits for cringy and cute selections from behind the scenes. To listen to all of our episodes, watch the live show each week, and to support Sober Baby, head to our link tree, l-i-n-k-t-r dot e-e backslash Sober Baby. Thank you to all of our patrons for helping make this show possible. My college cutie Miranda DeMaze Nordling for music direction, curation, and licensing through Now Again Records. Queen of Crochet, Jenny Alpa for audio engineering, my partner Danny Vargas for the endless support and love, and all of the sober babies out there because without you, this doesn't happen. Can I give you a hug, Jack? Yeah. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you. I love you. I love you too. I love you so bad. <laughs> <laughs> oh, bathroom, bathroom's <laughs> in the kitchen. Okay, cool. I was just like, oh, that was intense. Oh, that yeah. Was yeah. So only one yet. Yeah, at the very end. I know. <laughs>